Today we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John series. It's been going on for 32 weeks. Today and next Sunday I will preach what I call a non-traditional Christmas story. Why? Why non-traditional? Because I feel like it's my responsibility to tell you what you don't know. So I, I get it that I usually take a different approach. Most of you know I don't approach these subjects like many other preachers do, which might explain why my favorite Mother's Day sermon was Satan Can't Make Gnats. has nothing to do with mothers. I begin today with a word. And let me just say it's a word that changed everything. Emmanuel. It absolutely, positively changes everything. You will never understand Christmas until you understand this word. In fact, if I were to go around the room today and ask you when this word and how this word came to be, I wonder how many of you would be able to tell me. Where did the word come from? Who announced it and what was the context? If it is indeed a word that changes everything, what does this word mean? The revelation of the Emmanuel begins with a Jewish king named Ahaz. He is the king of Judah in Jerusalem. And the year, listen carefully, the year is 750 B.C. B.C., before Christ. Today it can be before Christmas. 750 years before Christmas. There's a king in Jerusalem named Ahaz. The nation of Israel is split into two. You have to understand this to get the story. The nation of Israel has split into two. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, which are ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which is Jerusalem, who has two tribes. And they don't like each other. In fact, at this stage in their history, they hate each other. They're about to go to war with each other. Israel is going to war against its brother, Judah. Isaiah prophesies, we're going to find this story in the book of Isaiah, and I want you to know that Isaiah prophesies more about the coming of Christ than any, any other Old Testament prophet. If you want to truly understand Christmas, we must start here, 750 years before Christmas. King Ahaz was king in Jerusalem, but there was a rebellion to the north in the land of two, two, two nations. Israel to the north, the ten tribes, were joining with all, of all people on earth to join with. You know who they're joining with to go against Judah? Syria. Listen carefully. So Israel and Syria are going to join together to make war against the southern kingdom of Judah. The king of Israel in Samaria and the king of Syria in Damascus have joined forces to make war to take Jerusalem. Now let me, let me push pause on that 750 B.C. story and tell you something about right now, today. Right now, today, Iran is currently establishing military operations inside Damascus. Read the news. And Russia's President Putin was in Damascus this past week for joint military discussions while all along joining with several nations to condemn the United States' position that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Let me tell you who those nations are that took a stand this past week. Syria, Turkey, Iran, and Russia. All four refusing to acknowledge 
Israel's right to call Jerusalem their capital. Just a side note, and I'll let you figure out how it plays into a 750-year-old story. So back to the story. When King Ahaz heard of the coming Jerusalem evasion, King Ahaz, the king of Jerusalem, of Judah, hears that they're going to be invaded by the kingdoms of the north, Syria in Damascus, and Israel's capital is Samaria. They're coming to make war. When he hears about it, he goes into a panic, which I understand. He's going into a panic. Verse 2, Isaiah chapter 7. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied, against, uh, allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaken in the storm. God knows the future and God is going to use this scene to reveal something 750 years before Christmas. Something that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. He knows what's happening in Damascus. He knows what's happening in Samaria. He knows that the invasion is planned. And he knows what's happening in Damascus and Syria today. God summons the prophet Isaiah. That's what he does. He summons the prophet Isaiah and he tells him to deliver a message of comfort to King Ahaz in Jerusalem. What's all this got to do with Christmas? Everything. Verse 4. God's telling Isaiah to tell King Ahaz this. Tell him to stop worrying. What? I've just got news from my intelligence people that we're going to be invaded. And you tell me to stop worrying? Yeah, stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, referring to those two kings to the north, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Romalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him. Yep, it's true saying, we will attack Judah, by the way, the capital of Judah is Jerusalem, and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabeel as Judah's king. They've got a plan. But this is what the sovereign Lord said. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. What? There are people planning to invade Jerusalem and the king of Judah in Jerusalem is having an anxiety attack. And here comes Isaiah. From God, it will never happen. Now, if you're the king of Judah and Isaiah gives you this message from God, what would you do? Would you believe him? Would you throw a party? What would you do? It's an interesting perspective. Do you believe Isaiah? Do you believe God? Maybe a bigger question is this, is what is God going to do? God says it's never going to happen. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's two kings to the north that believe it's going to happen. God then sends Isaiah to King Ahaz with the most unusual request. Are you ready for this? I hope so. What does this 750 B.C. story got to do with Christmas anyway? Everything. I want to tell you what you don't know about Christmas. God asked King Ahaz to do what you would think you should never do. God is going to ask King Ahaz to do what you would think you're not supposed to do. Verse 10. Later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Now, he's the king in Jerusalem. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of, <clears throat> of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, King Ahaz. 
as high as the heavens or as deep as the place of the dead. Ask God for a confirming sign of his presence and his promise to do what? To save Jerusalem. Ask him. You see, this isn't King Ahaz's idea. Isaiah has delivered that God has an idea that the invasion will never happen. But King Ahaz is still having a bit of anxiety. So God sends Isaiah back to Ahaz and says, ask for a sign to prove it. Go ahead, go ahead. As high as the heavens, as deep as the grave, as Hades, as hell itself. It doesn't matter. Just ask. Confirming sign of what? Don't, don't miss the confirming sign of what? The invasion from the north of Jerusalem will never happen. Make it as difficult as you want. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's, a, there's several stories of events like this. One is from King Hezekiah. He, he, he's, he wants a sign from God to prove that God's legitimate in this offer. And King Hezekiah, different story, asked God to make the sun go backwards. And he did. So here it is, this King Ahaz, what, what's he going to do? Give me a sign. As high as the heavens, as deep as hell itself, ask me. Let me ask you, what would you do? Do you think it's okay to ask God to give you a sign? Well, what if he's the one that brought it up? Do you think God knows? Do you think God knows that this offer will terrify Ahaz? Do, do you think God doesn't know that the mere offer that King Ahaz, you can ask me of any sign. It doesn't matter how big, how small, it doesn't matter, just anything, and I'll, I'll do it for you. Do you think this offer doesn't terrify? God knows this terrifies King Ahaz. Why? Because the Bible says you're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test. But what if it's his idea? What if he tells me to do it? What does this have to do with Christmas anyway? Everything. Emmanuel. Do you want to go deep into the search of the secrets of the kingdom of God or do you want to stay shallow? I want to tell you what you don't know about Christmas. Why? I want to go deep because... I'm convinced that to know the Word is to know God. In fact, to know the Word is to know Christ, and to know Christ is to know the Father, and to know the Father is eternal life. Here we go, verse 12. But the king refused. He, what's he refusing? Isaiah, on behalf of God, has offered, give me whatever sign you want of the invasion is not going to happen King Ahaz refused. No, I will not test the Lord like that. Nope, nope. Do you think God saw that one coming? You think God's in heaven going, ooh, didn't see that one coming? You think that ever happens? The scriptures do say, do not put the Lord your God to the test, but what if it's his idea? Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. What's this got to do with Christmas? Everything. God himself is going to give his own sign. Are you with me? King Ahaz, you, you can ask for any sign. What's the context? Jerusalem's invasion will not take place. It's not going to happen. Yes, there's a king in Israel who's planning it. He's joined with the king of Syria. They're going to come together to take Jerusalem and install their own king. It'll not happen. Ahaz won't give a sign, so God says, all right, I'll give one myself. God will use this event to reveal something that will not only confirm his presence in Jerusalem, but reveal the salvation of the entire world that was coming. God is going to use this scene, this context, this event, 750 years B.C., to reveal the whole one event, that one name that will transform planet Earth. Are you ready for this? What does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. In fact, I say this again. You will never understand Christmas until you understand Emmanuel. Verse 13. 
Then Isaiah said to King Ahaz, Listen well, you royal family of David. Who's, who's a royal family of David? The king sitting on the throne. His name's Ahaz. He's from the lineage of David. He's in Judah. He's in Jerusalem. Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, all right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. Do you understand the significance of what just happened? What God just said to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah 750 years before Christmas? Do you understand the significance of that sentence? God will give, God will announce a sign. He's going to place a sign out for all humanity to read. And he's doing it 750 years in advance. So generations will be able to read the sign. And the sign points toward heaven. And he begins the sign with a word. Some translations, English translations, say behold. This translation says look. What? Look at the sign. A virgin shall conceive a child. Is this high enough for you? A virgin shall conceive a child. You know, his offer to Ahaz is ask something as high as the heaven or as low as hell itself. Ask anything. Is this high enough for you? What? A virgin shall conceive a child. This virgin will not just conceive a child. It'll be a male child. A boy. You won't need ultrasound equipment to guess. It's going to be a boy. Did I mention she's a virgin? How can this be? Not just any male child. Are you ready? He will be called Emmanuel. And in case there's some problem with the translation over the 750 years, in case there's a translation problem, I'll write the definition of the word on the sign. God is with us. Emmanuel. This is 750 years before Christmas. And God is announcing a sign that is higher than the heavens, more powerful than hell itself. Do you want proof that God is going to protect Jerusalem? Did you ever notice, I wonder how many of you even know the story, but did you notice that the context of the story is this is the proof he offers King Ahaz that he himself will protect Jerusalem. The invasion will not happen. Why is God so passionate to protect Jerusalem anyway? You will never understand Christmas until you get this part of the story. God has placed his name there. His name. You know, in the Old Testament and even in the early centuries of Jewish culture after the birth of Christ, you know, they, wouldn't even, they won't even say God's name. Are you with me? I'm afraid we've gone too far the other way. They won't even say God's name. The Jewish people, the Orthodox Jewish people, even today, they won't say His name out loud. His name is so powerful, so glorious, so unspeakable. They won't even say it. And God, not man, God has placed his name in Jerusalem. He chose that place for his throne, for his name, forever. So why is, why is God making a sign? Why is the revelation of the coming Messiah, the coming Emmanuel, why is it in the context of protecting Jerusalem? <laughs> In 2 Kings chapter 21, I'll try to answer the question. There's a king in Judah, his name's Manasseh. He's not a good king, he's a bad king. 
In fact, Manasseh is participating in idolatry. Not just idolatry. He's putting idols inside the Jerusalem temple. And what is the Jerusalem temple? Emmanuel. It's God with us. What's behind the veil in the Jerusalem temple? God is with us in Jerusalem. And here comes Manasseh, and he's putting idols inside the temple. Let me read it. 2 Kings 21.7 Manasseh even made a carved image of Asherah and set, up, set it up in the temple, the very place. The very place. The very place where the Lord had told King David and his son King Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem. My name. The name that's unspeakable has been attached, not by any man, but by God, to a place on planet earth in Jerusalem. The city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. King David took that city. Listen carefully, church. Read the Old Testament. King David took that city from the Jebusites. And God claimed it for himself. God claimed Jerusalem for himself. God claimed it as the place of his name. The place for his throne. For how long? Forever. The city of Jerusalem has been the capital of Israel since the time of King David, roughly 3,000 years ago. In 1 Kings 2.45 it says, But King Solomon, that's the son of King David, will be blessed. And David's throne, and listen, and David's throne. Where is David's throne? In Jerusalem. David's throne will remain secure before the Lord alone. Say it out loud forever now back to king ahaz 750 years before the first christmas and god is announcing a sign that is higher than the heavens more powerful than hell itself emmanuel god with us emmanuel listen listen god was going to become a man Look, a virgin will conceive a child. And his name will be Emmanuel. God is announcing he will become a man. The Word was going to become flesh and dwell among us. And this sign is given in a scene which God tells Judah's king, he himself will defend Jerusalem. God is telling Judah's king, don't worry, don't be afraid, it's not going to happen, I'll take care of it. Can your mind grasp this announcement, the significance of this announcement? The rebels of Israel to the north and the rebels of Syria to the north have joined forces against Judah, against Jerusalem, and God uses this scene of all the scenes, why does he use this scene to announce the eternal kingdom of the coming Christ? Because that's what he's doing. A king was coming to sit on the throne of David. Listen, church. There is no mistaking this sign. It's clear. It stands out in front of all humanity. God placed the sign there himself. King Ahaz didn't put the sign up. God put the sign up. Look, a virgin shall conceive a child. Look! Do you see the sign? Look, a virgin shall conceive a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Announcing the eternal kingdom of the coming Christ 750 years before he is born in Bethlehem, a king is coming. This king will sit on the throne. Where? Where, church? You think all this is a coincidental accident? Where, church? In Jerusalem. He will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. His name is Emmanuel. So how 
would King Ahaz have understood this? Did he? Probably not. But that's not my question, do you? You see, we got a whole lot of information he did not have. Do you understand it? Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward from King Ahaz's story, which is what, 750 before Christmas, roughly. Let's fast forward some 750 years to a little town called Nazareth. The northern kingdom of Israel, 750 years after the time of King Ahaz, the northern kingdom of Israel is gone. And they've been gone for 700 years. Destroyed by, guess who? The Assyrians. Destroyed by the very group of people they had allied with in the time of King Ahaz. Interesting, isn't it? The southern kingdom of Judah is also gone. By the time Jesus is prepared for birth from Mary and Joseph out of Nazareth, the, the southern kingdom of Judah is also gone, and it's been gone for some 500 years, destroyed by the Babylonians. Not the Assyrians, the Babylonians. And by the way, when Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth, there is no king on David's throne. There is no David's throne. And there hasn't been a king on David's throne for 500 years. Has God failed his people? Emmanuel. 750 years since the announcement of Emmanuel through the prophet Isaiah. 750 years since God told King Ahaz that he would protect Jerusalem. And now, 750 years later, the Babylonians have come to Jerusalem and then the Medes and the Persians have come to Jerusalem. And then the Greeks have come to Jerusalem. And now, 750 years later, by the time Mary and Joseph appear on the scene, the Roman Empire rules Jerusalem. They all came to Jerusalem to conquer. And then something happened. Someone came and conquered them. 750 years after the announcement of Emmanuel. And Nazareth, a little town in northern Israel, has two citizens that will encounter this mighty plan of God. Mary, Joseph, and Emmanuel. Do you know the real story of Christmas? Emmanuel, God is with us. Do you know what that really means? Do you understand the significance of that name? Do you understand the significance and the power of that word from God? Have you seen the sign of God? Because the sign begins with the word. Look! Why, why did he put that in there? Behold! What? Isn't it enough to just put up the sign? It's not enough to just put up the sign. Because the sign has been standing there since 750 B.C. And even today, people don't know the sign. If you understand the sign, you'll know it points toward heaven. Behold, a virgin shall conceive a child. And he will be called Emmanuel. This, is, this was a sign. This is a sign. Can everyone read the sign of God? I'm going to make an announcement today. The world, for some reason, cannot see the sun. It's posted clearly. It points toward heaven. It's life itself. God is with us. But the world cannot see it. It cannot read it. Do you? Are there people sitting in this room today? And the reality is you didn't see the sun either. Will everyone understand this sign of God that is higher than the heavens, more powerful than hell itself? Well, let's just ask a question. Will Joseph be able to understand it? You see, he's coming on the scene in a little town of Nazareth 750 years after the sign was posted by God. Let's see how he does with it. Let's focus on Joseph for a second. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 19, Joseph, Mary's fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quickly, quietly, excuse me. And he, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, by the way, I believe King Ahaz was also a son of David. Interesting. Coincidence? I doubt it. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child, for the child within her was conceived, don't miss it, the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet 750 years ago. What, 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 what message? What sign? Why, Joseph? Look. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Say the name. Say the name. His name is Emmanuel. Did you read the sign? It's been posted for a long time by God. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a child, a male child. A virgin will have a baby, not just any baby, but she will give birth to Emmanuel. She will give birth to God with us. A virgin will give birth to God. Can your mind grasp that? My mind cannot. I believe it with all of my heart, but my mind cannot grasp it. A virgin woman in Nazareth will give birth to God. God is with us. Do you see the sign? Do you understand the significance of this event we call Christmas? The sign points toward heaven. The sign points toward the very presence of God. Now all of that so I can do something today. This is not here because I thought I might get thirsty today. Though I might get thirsty today. I hold up an empty cup in front of you. In fact, I'll prove to you the cup is empty. I'll turn it over. I want to ask you a question today. How can I rid this cup of its emptiness? What would I have to do to rid this cup of its emptiness? In fact, it's kind of simple. A child could answer the question what? To rid this cup of its emptiness, I, I really just got one option. I need to fill it up. I have to fill this cup up, right? Can we agree today that there's only one way to rid this cup of its emptiness? By filling it up. So, I will fill this cup with water. So I have successfully removed the emptiness from this cup. All right? I want you to visualize something. You see, I didn't rid this cup of its emptiness by focusing on its emptiness. I didn't look at this cup's emptiness and say, you're an empty cup. And you're going to always be an empty cup. And there's nothing you'll ever do except be an empty cup. You're messed up. You know, I could focus all day long on the emptiness of this cup, and this cup will never be anything but empty. But there's something you can do to remove emptiness. You fill it up. You fill it up. You see, I could focus on the emptiness all day, and this cup 
will still be empty. You can focus on your emptiness all day long. You can announce it. You can describe it. You can come up with a hundred words and adjectives to describe how empty you are. But you will never be anything but empty doing that. You see, I removed the emptiness by filling the cup with water. Wasn't that simple? I'm going to tell you what I have just described to you. Emmanuel. I have just described to you Emmanuel. I have just described to you the essence and the meaning of Christmas. Look. Did you see the sign? God, it's been posted for a long time now. In the time of King Ahaz, there was evil. There was darkness. There was death everywhere. What do you want to describe it? There was emptiness everywhere in the time of King Ahaz. In the time of Mary and Joseph, 750 years later, guess what? There was emptiness everywhere. There was darkness and death on the earth. Today, nothing's changed. I look around, there's evil, there's darkness, and there's death everywhere. There's emptiness everywhere. You know, we can talk about the emptiness. We can all come together and pray about the emptiness. But the only thing that's going to ever change the emptiness, the only thing that will ever replace the emptiness is there has to be something to fill the emptiness. How did God accomplish salvation? How did He do it? How did God deliver mankind from our hopelessness? How did God deliver mankind from our emptiness? How did God remove our emptiness knowing that in front of us, listen, if you hear me say the emptiness, I want you to understand something. I'll call it today the human condition. Out in front of everybody in this room, out in front of everybody in this room, unless Jesus returns first, out in front of everybody in this room is an empty grave waiting for you. There's no exceptions. There's no exceptions. There's no exceptions. It is not changed from the time of King Ahaz to the time of today. Out in front of all of us. Well, thank you, Terry, for this nice Christmas message. Out in front of all of us is an empty grave. How will God bring salvation to the earth knowing that out in front of every one of us is an empty grave? And there's no exceptions. Did he do it by removing evil from the world? No. There's evil in the time of King Ahaz. There's evil today. That's not how he did it, is it? God did it. He removed our emptiness by sending his presence. Emmanuel. He removed our emptiness by sending His presence, Emmanuel, which means what? Do you understand? Did you see the sign? God is with us. If He's with us, I'm not empty anymore. That's it. That's the real meaning of Christmas. And the reality is this. It's still a mystery to most people on the earth. You will never fill the emptiness with trees and lights and gifts and parties and more and more and more and more meaningless junk in your life. You will still be empty. God's presence came to fill our emptiness. Think about those words. God with us. Now you know what? That only means something if you can take the us and make it a you. Make it a me. God with me, Emmanuel. You see, Jesus was the water that was sent to fill our empty cups. What, what, do you think, what do you think he's announcing? God's announcing through Ahaz. But most people still don't understand. That's why Christmas has become so messed up in America. I got to tell you, I struggle with being the Grinch this time of the year. I don't struggle with being the Grinch because of the real meaning. I struggle with being the Grinch because of what's happening around us. 
A bunch of empty people celebrating something that's empty, thinking that more empty is going to make me more full. It's not. I look around and I see so much emptiness, so much despair. In fact, I've noticed something. I mentioned it to the staff this week. I've noticed more and more. In the last two years, I've done a lot of funerals in the last two years. Not only am I watching more and more funerals without hope in the room, but I am watching more and more funerals that when I talk about what I talk about at funerals, people are becoming angry at me. Everyone wants to be filled, and everyone wants to be satisfied, and everyone wants hope. But where? How? Can you see the sign? It points toward heaven. God didn't send Emmanuel into the world to take away our problems. Church, who told you that? God didn't send Emmanuel into the world to take away our problems. No, He did something even better. He poured Himself into our empty cups. Our hope and our salvation is not the absence of sin. Listen, it's not the fact that if I could just fix my life, if I could just fix my circumstances, if I could just get the emptiness shoved over to the side, I'd find some purpose in life. No, that's not it. Our hope and our salvation is not the absence of sin. It is the presence of God. Because the fact is, you cannot accomplish the absence of sin. But you can accomplish the presence of God. Emmanuel means God with us. Our salvation is not the removal of the darkness from this world. It is the presence of God. He is our great light. Do you want something that will radically and eternally transform your life? Give you hope in a hopeless world? Understand this. You don't overcome darkness by focusing on the darkness. I got a friend of mine years ago that I used to share Christ with, share Christ with, share Christ with. You know what he'd always tell me? Preacher, when I get this and this and this and this taken care of, I'll come to church. Well, I heard that speech for about two years. And finally, I looked him in the eye and said, the reality is you will never come to church. You have proclaimed your own destiny. Because you think that somehow or another, after you fix your emptiness, you'll come to Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, if you can fix your emptiness, you don't need Jesus. But you can't do it. You'll just be more empty. You don't overcome the darkness by focusing on the darkness. You overcome the darkness by focusing on the light. You don't overcome sin by focusing on sin. You overcome sin by filling your life with Emmanuel, the presence of God. The presence of God is what we need. Quit focusing on the emptiness that will never fill your cup. Church, do you have sorrow in your life today? You know, I get it. I I get it. I do get it. For some people, Christmas is not your joyous time of the year. Actually, many people have great anxiety in the month of December. Do you have sorrow today? I tell you, overcome your sorrow by the presence of joy. Emmanuel. If sorrow is your empty cup, you will never fill your empty cup called sorrow by focusing on your sorrow. You take the empty cup called sorrow and you put inside it the joy of Emmanuel. God is with me. Do you have hate and unforgiveness in your heart today? Is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive, you need to make right this time of the year? You overcome hate with love. And the only way you can do that is Emmanuel. Is there evil in your heart today? You overcome evil with good. Here's the principle. You overcome the absence by the presence. You overcome the absence by the presence of the opposite. You don't overcome the absence, the emptiness, by more emptiness. You have to find the opposite of emptiness to overcome emptiness. And the opposite of emptiness is the one who feels everything. Emmanuel. Listen to these words 
from Emmanuel and consider what this presence can do with your empty cup. Do you know how radical this is? Before I read it, I'm going to tell you, you want, you, know, you want to know how radical this is in our world? Jesus, who is Emmanuel, says this in Luke chapter 6, to you who are willing to listen. Let, let me convert that to you who will see the sign. You'll read the sign. To you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Is this, this is what everybody lives by, right? Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Can you do that while your cup's empty? church can your empty life cup do any of these on this list well, what if i told you that the one who's saying this is the one who wants to get inside your cup verse 37 32 excuse me if you love only those who love you why should you get credit for that even sinners love those who love them and if you do good only to those who do good to you why should you get credit even sinners do that much So once again, I hold up this empty cup. It's empty. Now it's empty. How can I get rid of the cup, emptiness of the cup? I have to fill it. Can we agree today that there's only one way to get the emptiness out of this cup? If we can agree, somebody say amen. amen. Now I'm going to hold up two cups. Both of them are identical. Bought them at Walmart yesterday myself. Both are empty. But I'm going to show you the reality of the world we live in. One of them I'm going to sit down. And the other one I'm going to sit down upside down. And then I'm going to take... Both of these cups are empty. This is Emmanuel. This describes all the people who live on the earth. 750 years before Christmas, Emmanuel came and he offered to fill your cup to take away your emptiness. But there's nothing going in that one. Oh, it could. But it doesn't. You know why? Because this second cup has never been turned toward Emmanuel. You see, God is not going to force you to open your cup and turn it toward him. He's not going to do it. God has given Emmanuel the living water. I'm going to ask everybody a question today. Have you received Emmanuel? Because I'm going to tell you, without Emmanuel, you will surely die. And that empty grave is yours. But it is not because of God. It is not because of Him. I have people all the time, when we get in discussions, people, people who doubt the, the existence of God, the reality of Christ, say, you know, I don't believe that a God, a loving God would send people to hell. To which I say, God's not sending people to hell. You sent yourself to hell. Because you turned your cup upside down. When God came, you turned your cup upside down and you said no to the very one who can take away your emptiness. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the gift from heaven. This is the reason he came to earth, to fill your cup with his abiding presence. Emmanuel is the presence of God. Emmanuel is Jesus Christ. Emmanuel is God with us. God in the flesh. In John 4, 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. That describes the emptiness of a cup turned upside down. 
Anyone who drinks what the world will offer you, trying to fill your emptiness, you're going to just get thirsty again. But he says something, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Have you turned your cup towards Emmanuel? Can you see the sign? He won't force you to turn your cup toward him. He's not going to do it. Have you received his presence, the presence that replaces your emptiness? One day he will take away the trouble of the earth. Somebody say amen. I'm going to tell you, I read the whole book a bunch of times. One day he's going to take away all the trouble from the earth. One day he'll remove the darkness completely. One day he will come to Jerusalem and he will defend Jerusalem as the king of kings. Do you remember what the angel Gabriel told Mary? Do you? It's, it's really important right now as I tell you about Emmanuel. Do you remember specifically? I, I'm going to tell you. I'll confess something. Aggravates me a little bit. I was raised in the church my entire life. And I never heard one preacher specifically tell me what God told the Gabriel angel to tell Mary. No one ever talked about it. You know why? Do you know what the angel told Mary? Luke 1.28 Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. I don't know why I thought that was funny. Don't be afraid. Yeah, you see an angel, you will be afraid. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And here's what he says. You will conceive a child. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel, and his kingdom will never end. The angel revealed five unstoppable prophecies. But I'm going to testify today that only two of the five have been finished. Did anybody tell you that? Look at the five. Number one, you will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Jesus. Finished. Check it off the list. Done. Number two, he will be very great and he'll be called the son of the most high God. Finished. Check it off the list. Done. Do you know what number three is? The Lord God will give him the throne of David. In Jerusalem. Coming soon. Keep your ink pen ready. Number four, he will reign over Israel. Where from? From Jerusalem forever. Coming soon. Do you believe this stuff? Number five, his kingdom will never end. It is an eternal kingdom. It's not like the king's of men the kingdoms of men this is an eternal kingdom and when he puts his feet down in jerusalem and he looks around and says it's mine it is forever it's forever are you ready for this kingdom are you ready for jerusalem's king i wonder how many people sit in this room today and really believe this stuff i don't know i don't know i can tell you i do are you ready for Emmanuel right now? Let me give you some, let me give you some right now wake up moment. Right now, God is making Jerusalem an intoxicating drink and the nations are staggering. I'm watching it. I see it right now, today. He couldn't have done it before 1948. He's doing it now. He's fulfilling Zechariah 12 right now. Why? It's the, why, 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 is, why are the nations staggering because of Jerusalem? It's the battle for the throne of God. Some of you saw the news. There's riots all around the world about Jerusalem. I read this past week that the mayor of Nazareth called off Christmas. Grinch. And then I heard he called it back on. 
And then I heard the leaders in Bethlehem had called off Christmas. Why? Because they're all afraid that they'll assemble a large crowd and there'll be riots. Why? 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 Why would Nazareth call off Christmas? Why is Bethlehem afraid? Why? Because there's a battle about Jerusalem. Why? It's the place of his name. It's the place of his throne. And the nations are staggering like they've been given an intoxicating drink. The nations under the power of Satan will come against Jerusalem in the end. I read the book. The nations under the power of Satan will come against Jerusalem in the end. And in their attempt to thwart the kingdom of Christ, I see the signs. I can hear God say today what he said to King Ahaz 750 years before Christ. It will never happen. No, you will never establish a permanent kingdom in Jerusalem. It will never happen. The sign has been given. Does that mean there's not going to be trouble in Jerusalem? No, no, no. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be great trouble in Jerusalem. It's coming. Read Zechariah chapter 14. There's going to be great trouble in Jerusalem right before the end. And what is the end, preacher? There's a king that's coming to Jerusalem. If you think his first coming, this thing we called Christmas, was a big event, you wait till you see the second one. There's a king coming to Jerusalem. He will not be a baby dressed in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. No, he comes this time to make war against the nations that refuse to turn their cup toward him. I'm telling you the truth. He comes this time to make war against those who refuse to turn their cup toward him. He will rule from Jerusalem with an iron scepter. And he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Do you know how the book of Revelation ends? The last chapter, it's chapter 22. Jesus says this, verse 16, I... Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David's, the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. He's going to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem just like the angel Gabriel said. And nobody's going to stop it. It's impossible to stop. The sign has been given. Would you believe the sign? Did you see the sign? The sign of God? What? What, what sign? Look! A virgin shall conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Is God with you? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. We're going to sing a song that I asked him specifically to sing. And the song is this, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So I did some research, and I found out that that song's origin is 1710 in Cologne, Germany. 1710, listen. You know what the song says? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. In 1710, 238 years before Israel became a nation in 1948, in 1710, this guy is singing a song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I don't know that he had any idea that 238 years later, the nation of Israel, which was totally gone, would be back. And now they're in Jerusalem. In 1967, they took Jerusalem after 2,000 years. Anybody see the signs? And then just a couple of weeks ago, there's this uproar about Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. Anybody see the signs? It, the Lord said in Zechariah, I will make Jerusalem, the nations drink Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that will drive them crazy. Anybody see the signs? He looks at 
Gabriel looks at Mary. You will conceive a son. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will never end. Do you believe this stuff? Is he your king? Have you turned your cup toward him? Have you erased your emptiness by his presence? Today, we offer this invitation, this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. May it be your song today. Let's stand.